0: good morning i'm Sanaa, and you're listening to let's grab coffee on wyxr 91.7 fm this month let's grab coffee has partnered with black is america to bring you featured episodes from this award-winning podcast highlighting little-known african-american figures and other stories each Monday this month, you know I've had the pleasure of being joined by Dominic Lawson. Dominic was the creator and host of the Startup Life podcast, which provided listeners with the edge they needed in building their businesses and climbing the corporate ladder. The Startup Life featured interviews with an array of entrepreneurs and business owners and was syndicated nationally and internationally. Currently, Dominic is the podcast producer, editor, and host for Meadows Behavioral Healthcare. He hosts the long-running Beyond Theory podcast that brings in-depth conversations with first-hand insights from the people on the front lines of mental health and addiction recovery. He is also the host of the award-winning podcast Recovery Replay, which journals personal stories of recovery. Dominic, it's so great to have you back here. I'm so
1: glad to be back. Thank you so much to uh, have me here and for this opportunity. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I've had so much fun chatting with you over these last couple weeks. And we've got to talk about Tom Lee. And then last week, we listened to the phenomenal story of Ledger Smith, who roller skated Mm -hmm. all the way from (laughs) Chicago to DC in 1963. Right. for the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. And so I'm really, Mm -hmm. really excited about um, the featured episode for today. Uh, Do you want to give our listeners just a little sneak peek of who we'll be talking about? Absolutely. So, you know,
1: and and it kind of starts with the beginning of the episode, but I won't give it too much, uh, give much away. Uh, It it started with, you know, back in 93, my wife, my uh, mom gave me this book with Black History Figures. And, and it was all kind of cool people in it. But I saw this one woman, I'm not gonna lie, she was beautiful, right? Like she was mm-hmm. really pretty. And so that's kind of what drew me to it. And it was Marian Anderson. And yeah. so you got the reading and about Marian Anderson. I was like, wow, she was, she's pretty dope, right? You know, an <laughs> opera singer, a black yeah. opera singer, I, you know, uh, and, and I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that opera, black opera singers existed mm-hmm. right you know and one of the things that we've been talking about uh you mentioned i work at Meadows behavioral Healthcare. one of the things that come up often in the black community is this idea of vacant esteem right mm-hmm. you know there's self-esteem but there's vacant esteem right and so vacant esteem is like not having the idea that you could be something or have something or become something right i know uh yeah. for the longest time up until 2008 it was the idea of you know, you can become president. Well, up until 2008, I don't know if that was true or not. It in the very yeah. least, the vacant esteem was there. Was like, I don't know if that's attainable. But, you know, with the uh, election of Barack Obama and stuff like that, now there's that esteem that we can strive for stuff like that. So when it goes to Marian Anderson, that's what it made me think of. So like, OK, we can be opera singers and stuff like that. So it was pretty cool. And that's how I was introduced to uh, Marian Anderson.
0: Yeah. And I love how you described it. And thanks for sharing this concept of vacant esteem. Um, That's new to me. But as you were talking, I was like, yeah, absolutely. It was making me think about all the, the attention that has been growing around like having racial mirrors, um, which contribute to that esteem um, as well. And really knowing that not only is something possible as just an idea, like you can think it in your head. So of course it must be kind of possible, right? If I could think of it, um, but actually knowing that, wait a minute, someone who looks like me or came came from where I came from did this. So not only is it an idea, but there is proof that this can happen and it could happen for someone like me
1: absolute P- proof of concept you know whether you're talking about a business or a dream or something like that, that that's really important because uh you know for the longest time when you don't see that you don't you don't know what trail to go on you don't know what mm-hmm. what path to go on right and so when you have that uh in place at the very least you have a proof of concept of it, that it can happen but also an idea of how to go about doing it right you mm-hmm. know and, and and then those people who do uh uh, break that, uh, break that plane or break that, you know, glass ceiling as people like to call it or whatever. Uh, you know, that's why we call them trailblazers. That's why yeah. we love them so much, because they, they literally created the trail, the path to uh, create that thing or attain that thing or become mm-hmm. that thing. And so that's uh really important. so when it comes to Marian Anderson uh, for me, and there were other people around mm-hmm. that time for sure uh, but for Marion Anderson, you know, uh, and reading that book as a as a nine year old, right? Mm. You know, it was it was really something like, like I never. Don't ask me to sing; it's not happening. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want uh, You knew it was
0: audience. coming. You knew it was coming.
1: <laughs> I don't want to lose your audience. But just the simple idea that that could be a possibility for yeah. you know me and something like that, and we we interview somebody in the, on the show who talks about that, who mm-hmm. is in the music arena. Uh, That that was very important for me and also her as well and anybody else who's pursuing something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just those lessons, they are transferable to other arenas. And as you mentioned, Marian Anderson, definitely being a trailblazer, opening up doors for other folks to follow in a pathway um, to do so. I love that emphasis on, okay... Yes, there's one thing about knowing that maybe something is a possibility, but then it's like the how, like how, what is the process for me to get from where I am today into this, you know, grand future or grand vision, Um, and maybe even a grand vision that you don't have yet, right? Because it is so, you don't have those mirrors or you don't have, you know, that, that pathway that you can follow, um, but it made me think about, um, cause you talked about proof of concept and, and knowing that something is possible. Um, but just like in Marion Anderson's story, you know, there are a lot of no's that have to happen before you actually get that. Yes. Before you actually start to see like, okay, wait a minute, this can happen. Like it can happen for me. It can happen. So I'm wondering for you, you know, have there been some no's that maybe turned into yeses or have you been denied some opportunities, um, and then I'm thinking particularly maybe in podcasting, right. Because that is where you excel. Um, but now you're like, huh, look at me now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I almost did start singing the, the song. Look at me now, just now. Um, but no, um, but no, absolutely. I mean, when you're talking about podcasting and creating something, uh, you know, it it, it it just comes with the territory. It just mm-hmm. comes with the territory. When we started the Startup Life uh, in, in 2016, honestly, it just kind of started as something as a way to give back to the business community because we were we were um, uh, getting these questions about how to start a business and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then eventually as it become more and more into podcasts, like, I really like this. I want to turn it into something, right? And it became mm-hmm. something more. So you start... Uh, investing in yourself and pursuing certain things. And one of the things that we definitely pursued was radio, mm-hmm. right. Wanted to be on radio, uh, because we knew many radio stations are, you know, looking for content and stuff like that. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, and I'll just throw this number out there, you know, a lot of people applaud that the startup life was on 10 radio stations around the country and one in the UK. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but that's 10 radio stations out of 400 that we reached out to. Yeah. Right. That 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 batting average ain't great. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's not that's not good. Uh, but we did get those ten yeses, and you know, and, and yeah. honestly, uh, one of those things, uh, one of those places was you know WYXR, and it's not a necessarily a situation where they didn't like the content because they mm-hmm. did like the content. It just wasn't a good fit. And so yeah. sometimes when we do get those no's, it's important to know that hey it's not no to you and what you're doing. It's maybe mm-hmm. a no right now. It may be mm-hmm. no, because it's not the right fit, if you will. Right. Now, Marion Sanders case is a little different because, yeah. you know, you know, racism and all right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but outside of, of things like that, sometimes when we're denied opportunities, it's not necessarily for nefarious reasons. It just could mm-hmm. be, it's just not a great fit or just not right now. And, and so and ultimately, uh, if it's something that you're passionate about and that you love to do, it eventually works out, which is yeah. why we're presenting the Black is America podcast here on WYXR on well, Let's Grab Coffee right yeah. for, for the month of February. So it, it's just amazing how life works sometimes
0: yeah I, I I love that I mean you said so much in there Dominic and I I I think I didn't even really intro that question in the correct way because first and foremost um you all have to know that in the podcasting community Dominic is known um, affectionately as the pod father and with good reason because you know I just kind of said oh have you experienced some no's in podcasting and I think for some people you think oh well everyone has a podcast right that's also kind of like a backlash that we've been hearing recently, like no more podcasts, (laughs) right? (laughs) People need to stop making the podcast. And Dominic, you know, you're not just a podcaster, if we want to say it, you know, as if it's so casual. So I just have to say again, like syndicated nationally and internationally, also multiple awards for multiple podcasts. And so it's not simply just, oh, someone is recording something and maybe people are out there listening, but the content, and I hate saying content, but, but the (laughs) But what you are creating is impactful, it's important, it's changing people's lives in very real material ways. I'm thinking about um, recovery replay, for example. But then also even Black is America, changing how we understand American history, who is American and the contributions um, of African Americans to our country. And so I think it's really important for folks to know that your podcasts are impactful. They're important. And yes, there have been a long list of no's um, that that got you to this point. But I love what you said about, you know, the no's are not about you as a person, right? And I and I love that because we do have to separate the rejections from our worth or how we're thinking about ourselves. And no's are just not now, right? It's just a, a not now. It's not a never,
1: Right, absolutely. I, I always say no, you no, know, it, it's an acronym for either next opportunity or new opportunity, Yeah. right? You know, and, 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 and that's one of the things, and I'll be transparent, that's something I'm still working on, right? Because I, I, I still work on it personally, where it's like, it's not a rejection about you, Dominic. It's just maybe, it's just not a right fit, right? And, and so sometimes we have to talk about, I have talked to myself about that and, and talked to my therapist about mm-hmm. that as well. Cause I, you know, I, I go to therapy often, uh, yes. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the podfather thing, which <laughs> I am absolutely flattered by, uh, but I, I see it more as a responsibility than a title of prestige, if you mm-hmm. will, right? Because the thing is about, especially here in Memphis, right? There's so much talent. There's something in the yeah. water here yes. that, that is just breeds creativity and innovation. And so when I say that it's more of a responsibility, what I mean is that like, it, it's my responsibility with whatever success with podcasting I have is mm-hmm. to send the elevator back down, especially here in Memphis. And which is why I, I mentor many podcasters. Mm-hmm. I invest in certain podcasters, uh, you know, both, you know, with time and monetarily, because I want mm-hmm. them to know like, Hey, just keep going. You got a great concept here. Uh, right. But no, those, uh, those knows, um, uh, I, like I said, I'm still working on it, trying not to take them personally, but I do use them as motivation to to keep going, to keep going and keep innovating. And I, and I mm-hmm. think that's important. And it goes to what you were saying, like how everybody has a podcast now, or it seems like everybody has a podcast now, no more podcasts, right? <laughs> uh, I, I get it. But I, I think it's important that like, if this is something that you absolutely love to do, if it's a a craft, just like Marion Anderson, if it's something that you love to do, like you're going to stop at nothing to get better at it and to keep ascending. It's just in you, because it's like, it's it's like this thing that you just love to do. And, and it it brings you, it it brings you joy. It brings you pain. It brings you, (laughs) it it brings you a little bit of suffering, but it also just brings you this sense of fulfillment. One of the things I am uh, very, um, adamant about is seeking that self-actualization piece mm. at the top of that pyramid you know what I mean that's mm-hmm. important to me and so when I found podcasting I found my voice pun yeah. intended, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, you know uh, it, I really did and so I, I, I'm really passionate about just people I'm just passionate about people winning yeah. right especially especially about people winning here in the city of Memphis
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Dominic, I mean, you have been foundational to many local podcasters, um, always giving of your time um, and expertise and just being so generous with that. And I know I have benefited from that. And it made me actually think about, again, that concept of vacant esteem. And um, for, for I think a lot of Memphians and people that you have, you know, have had touched, it is like we're seeing a Memphian who has excelled and is continuing to excel in this realm of podcasting and has set himself apart um, and has shown us what's possible, right, as podcasters. And so I, I think that also speaks to, like you said, that responsibility that you feel um, for, for sharing your knowledge, sharing your expertise with others. And, you know, I would be remiss if, if I did not mention the fact that we will be heading to to South by Southwest in just a few weeks and sharing that expertise with a, a national audience. And again, I think it just speaks to what you have created with Black is America, but also your spirit of investing in others and believing in others and that approach that we can all win. And especially as Memphians, like we can win together.
1: You, you know, and, and this is so timely with everything that's going on in our city recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Memphis has get, given me so much. Yeah. We like, we a lot of people like to rag on the Bluff City for this purpose or for this reason and that and stuff like that. But Memphis has given me so much. The people of Memphis have given me uh, so much. I mean, this is home and this is home for a reason. I, I, I you know On you, you mentioned the uh, podcast recovery replay, and uh, in, in 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 many of those episodes and beyond, theory, I, I, I talk about my guidance counselor from grade school at Bruce Elementary, which mm-hmm. is not far from Crosstown, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and how she was able to pour into me just a, a little black kid in South Memphis. She poured into me and saying, Dominic, you know, you have so much potential. You can do this. You can do that. Uh, you know, and, and so when when it comes to this city I I feel obligated to pour back into it I mean because Mm -hmm. it's given me so much but even on top of that I want to give back uh, to uh, the people in this city and if that's through podcasting then it's through podcasting uh and and so I know a lot of uh, young podcasters who are uh, who are you know trying to get their feet wet and trying to get into the game And I tell them all the time like look find the thing that you love to talk about You know the thing that you talk about on social media all the time for free. The thing you talk about with your family all the time. Just talk about that. I don't care what it is, right? And if Mm -hmm. you got to slap an M rating on it, then slap an M rating on it and X (laughs) rating or whatever. But, 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 but do that. The the point is like find that thing you love to discuss and just talk about it. I think podcasting should you know inform, inspire. And, mm-hmm. and, and entertain. And if you follow one of those three categories, I think you can do it well. And so, but when it comes to the city, there's just so much talent. I just feel absolutely obligated to pour back into it.
0: Yeah, and I love that you brought up how this city has poured so much into you, and just that importance of, in that case, you know, a teacher, but it could also be other community members. It could be um, other organizations you're a part of. I'm thinking about the church, particularly as that tie-in to Marian Anderson and her story, and how at a crucial moment um, in her journey, her community really poured into her to ensure she would have what she needed to pursue her dreams. And so I'm really glad that you you you. you know, brought that up and, you know, for me as well, I can think of folks, whether um, in the church or in school who are really instrumental in just giving me, you know, just a little little bit of encouragement or even some tangible material help that I needed to get me to that next level. Um, So I absolutely love that.
1: I don't know, like when when it comes to, you know, uh, the city of Memphis and, and Black churches, they've been instrumental. Uh, as a kid that, you know, I, I think of Mount Vernon church in, in Westwood area, I think of Koinonia church in Whitehaven that we used to go to all the time. Even my wife who, uh, you know, who was able to take a trip to India and Thailand as an exchange student, as a kid, oh, wow. her church poured mm-hmm. into her to, you know t- just like in Marion Anderson's case to give money yeah.
2: towards that
1: venture, you know what I mean? And, and so when it comes to the history of black America it can't be told without the black church because mm-hmm. um whether it's a place of help a place for place of refuge uh even a place of honestly for the for many the first uh line of mental health help mm-hmm. has has been the black church and, and, and clergy uh and, and stuff like that so the black church is instrumental in and have definitely always been uh, a place that poured into Uh, many of us in this city and beyond, even outside of Memphis, for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we should get into this episode, learn more about Marian Anderson. I'm sure many of you have heard her name, but you probably don't know her story. So after the break, we are going to listen together to this episode of Black is America.
1: I am always interested in those stories of people who are denied an opportunity and go on to be absolutely phenomenal, in the very arena they were denied. Take Oprah Winfrey, for instance. She was fired from her job as an evening news reporter, and that's probably just water under the bridge for the now billionaire media mogul. Or how about Kerry Washington, who filmed two television pilots only to be replaced both times? Clearly, just a tiny blip for the now Emmy Award-winning actress. But before those two stories could unfold, there's another one you should know about. This one probably paved the way for the other two to happen in the first place. It's sometime in 1917, and a young black woman is sitting in the lobby of the Philadelphia Music Academy. She wants to enroll, so she is there to do just that. It's been a long road for this young lady as she comes from very humble beginnings. Her father died from a work accident years earlier, putting the family deep into poverty. This led to her not being able to pay for high school or get her musical training. But thanks to her church, who saw her talent early on, she now has the money to go to school and get her training. Believe me when I tell you, she has a very beautiful voice. The Philadelphia Music Academy has never enrolled a person of color before, so this is a big undertaking. As she waits in the lobby, countless other young people who don't look like her are being seen and being helped with enrollment, even if they came in after her. Finally, once everyone clears out, someone at the admission desk inquires, What do you want? I wish to enroll, so I'm here to get information, the young lady replies. The admission counselor looks at her and says, We don't take colored. The young woman gets up, gathers her things, and walks away. As she walked away, I imagine that admission counselor thought that would be the last she heard of her probably thought no one would hear from her at all. However, that slow walk out of that building for the young lady was the beginning steps of one of the greatest of American stories, a story that would lead this young lady to become not only one of the greatest contralto voices in music, but also a civil rights icon. That young lady's name was Marian Anderson, who was deemed the voice of the century. We come from innovators, heroes, and royalty. We are our ancestors' greatest hope. We face many challenges, but we mold that adversity into our greatest strength. We are the glue that holds the nation together and allows it to flourish. Welcome to Black is America, the podcast that highlights little-known African-American figures and stories that make our history come to life. I'm your host, Dominic Lawson. Episode 2, Marian Anderson, The American Contralto, Part 1. The first time I learned about Marian Anderson was in the third grade. My mom got me this book with these amazing black people in it. Each page had a different person on it. Now, there was the usual cast of characters that they roll out for Black History Month, right? Right? M.L.K., Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman. But there were a few that were new to me that I wasn't familiar with. There was Nat Love, a cowboy from the old American West. Then there was Jesse Owens, the Olympic athlete who showed the Germans who was the superior one in the 1936 Olympics. And then there was Marian Anderson. I'm not going to lie. My first thought was a black opera singer? But as I read her page, I thought it was really cool that she traveled worldwide singing in front of large crowds that didn't look like her. I remember thinking, wow, she must really know how to sing for her to be out here like that. It was too bad that I couldn't hear what she sounded like. It's not like I could have just Googled her on my phone and pulled up an audio clip like I did just now. That's because it was 1993, and even if the tech was around at the time, we couldn't afford that. I mean, I lived in the projects. But it wasn't until I got older that I understood the impact she had on the culture, this country, and the craft of classical music. So that was how I came to find out about Marian Anderson. But for a good friend of mine, she learned about Marian Anderson in a different way.
3: I believe I was in fourth or fifth grade when I first heard about Marian Anderson, and it was during Black History Month at my elementary school.
1: This is Charlie Edmonds, associate instructor and Ph.D. student at Indiana University. And as a kid, she got a perfect introduction to the American icon.
3: I had heard her name before at home, but I don't think I had heard any recordings of her or really seen pictures of her. And I remember there was a singer in my hometown her name I believe is Larisse Lanier and she would talk about being inspired by Marian Anderson and so that's how I heard her name but it wasn't until I was like maybe in like a black history program or something where the teacher played a recording of Marian Anderson She told us that she performed at Carnegie Hall in the 1920s. And I was very impressed by that because we know what the 1920s (laughs) looked like. And um, so
1: that was the first time that I was really exposed. And it seemed like a whole new world was about to open up for Charlie.
3: As a child, it opened up a whole other jar of possibilities for me. I didn't know that black people were out here doing classical music. I didn't know that we were out here performing at Carnegie Hall. When I had heard Carnegie Hall, I thought white. I didn't think black. I didn't think that was something that we can do. And lo and behold, it had already been done. It allowed me to dream bigger. And at that time, I wasn't in music yet. So I didn't really know that that's what I would, would be end up doing. But once I started music learning, I definitely drew on that experience to remember that this is possible and this is something we can do.
1: Marian Anderson was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, on February 27th, 1897. She was born to John Anderson and Annie Rucker. But Marian's aunt Mary, John's sister, would be pretty influential in Marian's life when it came to her pursuing music. The Andersons were devout Christians and members of the Union Baptist Church in South Philly, and while the whole family was active in the church, it was Aunt Mary who was active in the choir at Union Baptist. She convinced a then six-year-old Marion to join the choir. And here, thanks to the Penn Libraries and their YouTube channel, is Marion Anderson talking about her early experience in the youth choir. Quick disclaimer, these recordings are a bit old, so quality is not the best. If there's anything that is unclear, go to blackisamericapodcast.com for the full transcript. Here is Marion Anderson.
2: I was taken along to church with my father practically every Sunday. And this began about the age of six when I was enlisted or enrolled as a member of the junior choir. That little choir uh, had in it probably not less than 30 youngsters.
1: And it was early on that Marion's talent would start to show, not just in her singing, but also in her process.
2: The group was singing so well that we sang for the big sunday school which convened in the afternoon and along about the age of 10 or 11 um, i was given a a piece of music uh, and i would say about that time one was able to by ear and with one finger uh, work out certain melodies but i was given a piece of music and told to take it home and look over it and i was to sing the lower part and the neighbor girl was to sing the upper part that was a hymn from the sunday school music book or hymnal and it was called dear to the heart of the shepherd oh that's long ago marion
1: had talent this much was clear but like all great talents no matter the craft you need a teacher a mentor to push that talent to the next level So Marion recounts her early days of musical training.
2: Now, um, at this period, one simply sang without knowing how you did it. And um, one sang that way for a long time. One sang that way until one had her first teacher. And so it was that when I went to Mrs. Patterson, I would say before I went to Mrs. Patterson, when my aunt would teach me something, uh, she would sometimes sing it for me, and I would sing it after her. But had nothing to do with voice placement so far as that went. Now then, when I went to Missus Patterson, I was in school, and it was she who told me, who asked me how I produced a note, and I didn't know. I simply opened my mouth, and 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 there it was. If she would touch the piano, if it happened to be a high note, one would sing it. If it was a low note, one would sing that. Because I believe, really, uh, that on the choir where we went when I was 13 years old, the senior choir, when one had the opportunity to sing soprano, alto, tenor, or bass, well, the lower voices of sing an octave higher, when one had an opportunity to do that, the voice being natural and one having no inhibition, if the tones were there to do, one did them without trouble, you see. And not that one's taking any credit for anything, but one did not have the trouble then. And so when I went to Mrs. Patterson and she said to me one day about a top note to do it, I wasn't thinking where it was done at all. And she said uh, that I should think about it and that she wanted me to throw it into the corner of the ceiling, just where the two walls met. There's just one little point there. That meant, although she did not use the word, to focus. And so... Um, I started out doing notes and trying always to push them there. In the beginning, I did not have, I would say, 100% uh, uh, success in doing it. But there were some places where it came much easier to do it than others. But, on the whole, it was not something which gave one a great deal of trouble. Only that, I became aware for the first time that there were two ways of doing it. One was absolutely natural and one was one that I had to think about. Whether it was uh, good to have it at that period or not, I did not stop to think. But I know if you're going to do anything, you have to know how you're going to do it and why you're doing it that way. And so we worked with Mrs. Patterson on that basis that we would do what we were doing with a knowledge of how we were doing it. And Mrs. Patterson gave me my first Schubert. I believe I had from her my first Schubert
1: song. But even though she had a teacher who could give her a process, Marion was still primarily self-taught. Let's go back to Charlie because she provides a unique perspective on Marion's talent. While maybe she wasn't classically trained, her talent was still undeniable. She was rejected from the school
3: and she was mostly self-taught. And that resonated with me because I didn't have my first private lesson in music or on my instrument until I was in college as a music major. That's really not common, especially amongst children who have resources usually. They usually, if they know they want to be a musician professionally, they're going to start private lessons early. I watched other students in my youth orchestra in my community have private lessons, but the students at my school particularly didn't have private lessons and I didn't have private lessons. So it was me and my band director sometimes after school or me just using whatever I could learn on my own to teach myself. And that's exactly what Marianne Anderson did until she was able to get voice lessons. And even after those voice lessons, she was still rejected from some music schools. And it reminded me that the things that we have in us as Black people, it's really amazing because of our traditions that we get to experience growing up. The musical experiences we already have and that we already come to school with, even though they're not quite valued, they make us who we are and they make us musicians and um i got to draw on that as i got older and as i had to work harder to catch up i realized that i really wasn't that far behind because i still had valuable musical experiences i just didn't have the structure to label it or to
1: use it in the best way but charlie says that even though marion did not have those resources the musical experiences that she had in church be it not formal still did not have her too far behind from those who did have the resources
3: From what I understand about her church upbringing is that was her first singing exposure. That was her first singing experience. And what we know about church and about the rhythms we experience in church, it's just, it's in us. It's already ingrained in us and trying to write that out in music is actually Quite difficult and trying to teach what that is in music is quite difficult if you've not grown up in that tradition. And we get the advantage of if you've grown up in the church of already having exposure to that and the rises and falls of the voice and all the inflections that we use when we sing in church and all of the runs and riffs that just come naturally to us. It's in us and it's an advantage. And I think that really helped me. And what really made the transition for me because I was not a singer I mean I did sing in church not a great singer and so I play clarinet but my band director wrote out I think the first thing he wrote out for me was order my steps and it had all sorts of rhythms on paper that I had never seen but I had sung before and I was like oh that's how you play that rhythm that's how you read this in notation I didn't know that and it made me realize that we're already doing really complex things in church that would be regarded as is very difficult in the classical
1: world And I just I love that that cheat code that we get (laughs) in the church tradition. Marion had many supporters, but maybe none more significant than her father. Here is Marion again talking about a big duet performance she prepared for.
2: And then the other girl whose name was Viola Johnson came and we were rehearsing it together. And then the day arrived when we were to sing it in church. And this is the first recollection of my understanding of my father's pride. He
1: was also her protector
2: on the way home my father stopped at my grandmother's house which we had to pass if we took the direct route from the house from the church to our house and we stopped in the grandmother's house and he talked there for a while and i played around a bit and by the time we arrived at our little house in colorado street the director of the choir had already been there and left and i remember that my mother told my father that Mr. Robinson had been there, and he wanted to be sure that, I, that Viola and I would be able to be in church, I think, earlier the next Sunday, because they were going to be visitors, and he wanted that we should sing for them. I only remember that my father said in reply to that, I'm not going to have them singing my child to death. <laughs>
1: her father was important to her as a supporter and the family as a financial provider. And early on in Marion's life, the course of it would shift drastically. John Anderson worked at Reading Terminal in downtown Philadelphia where he sold ice and coal. And one day, while at work, the day before Christmas, he suffered a very severe head injury. And he would eventually succumb to those injuries and pass away. This would plunge the family deep into poverty. Marion's mother, Annie, would have to make up for the financial loss by working more and Marion would have to stop going to school to help care for her younger siblings. She too would have to perform small jobs to support her family. Marion is 12 at this time and had her sights on getting more formal training. Remember, she did receive training at the church and from Miss Patterson, but she needed much more. But for now, that would have to be placed on hold. Often, this would be the end of the story. This would be where a person with immense talent would be derailed, never to see that talent fully blossom into what it could be. But the congregants at Union Baptist would not let that happen. Throughout history, the role of the black church has been immense. Outside of a place of worship, it has been a place for social gatherings community organizing and even a place of refuge when things were particularly tough for the african-american community
4: well one thing to even think about with the black church before it was officially the black church you had your slaves that would gather and they would get together and sing songs and interpret the scripture as best as they could
1: this is my really good friend educator and historian terry stevens you're going to hear from her over the course of this season She explains just how important the church was during Marian Anderson's youth and still is today.
4: When they did that, that was a safe place for them. And those songs that they sang had different messages compared to the white people at that time. So over time, as blacks started, opening and controlling their own churches and building their own buildings, as you stated earlier, it became the center of the community. It was not just for religious purposes. Of course, that's the first thing you're going to think of with a church, but it was for social purposes. They would go for weekly meetings, say, hey, how you doing, just to gather their community fellowship. The churches were big on economics. Oftentimes, they would help businesses start. They would support each other. And then you had your cultural aspect of the church. Because with the culture, of course, you had your African traditions, you had the music, you had the language. All of that was key to the Black community. That wasn't key then, but it's still key now. Even though you may not have a lot of people into organized religion, the Black church is still a center of the community. And one thing I've even Look at it's the education because even for myself, that was one of the first places where I had a public speaking role. Even in the Sunday schools, children were learning to read, to interact with other kids. So the church in itself is so much more than just a religious building. It's the center of the community. When
1: Terry mentioned the education piece, this was surprising to me, or at the very least, I had never thought of it, so I wanted to ask her more about that specifically. Here again is Terry
4: a lot of your middle class people were educators at that time. So you had a lot of your teachers teaching Sunday school. A lot of your ministers during that particular time were also teachers or principals of different schools. Your deacons were principals or teachers at that time. So they just brought in those things that they knew from their profession and used it in the church to help solidify what the kids were getting at school. I know from my Experience, my pastor, my original pastor, Reverend Suggs, was a history teacher at Hamilton High School here in the city. His wife was an economics teacher. Mr. Neely was a principal at all of those people here in the city that were educators and the roles that they had in the church. Dr. King, even his family had a lot of educators in it. It's almost like education and the black church go hand in hand. One of my professors at U, Ronald B. Pagnett, pastor of one of the larger churches in St. Louis, but he was also a prolific professor at U. So we learned how to write, speak, learned how to make sure even the punctuation, those, it was those little things that a lot of people take for granted that our people from the education field brought into the church. Especially during Vacation Bible School, when you have a lot of the community to come in, it just still built on the community.
1: Union Baptist saw Marion's talent at a very young age, and they were very much aware of what had befallen the young woman and her family. And so little by little, they raised the money for her not only to go to high school, but to also get the musical training she so desperately wanted. It's just another example of how the black church has always been a place that protected black people and supported them in their many endeavors. Amen to that. So this leads us to the brief story I mentioned at the top of the show. Marion has hopes of training at the Philadelphia Music Academy. But we know how that story ends, so there's no need to rehash it. You know what? Hey, stop the music for a second. (laughs) So in creating this episode, I thought real hard about being petty and reference that, you know, admissions counselor from the top of the show and her we don't take color comments every time I bring up Marion doing something amazing because, I mean, you know, that's what's about to happen, right? But I came across an article in the New York Times during my research in which Marion was asked about being treated unfairly, but she always took the high road. And when I think about our ancestors, that's what a lot of them did. They took the high road. And honestly, just like them, I think that speaks to her grace and conviction that she didn't need to do stuff like that. So I guess in honor of Auntie Marion, I will stick to that tradition. I guess it's a lot like Jackie Robinson when he broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. He had to endure racial slurs just to play a game. And while frustrated, he never let it affect the goal. Also, fun fact. Marion Anderson was a big time Brooklyn Dodgers fan, probably in due in large part to Jackie. But I'm getting off task here. Let's get back to Auntie Marion's story. So she wasn't able to go to the school of her choice, right? But she was still in need of a music teacher, one that would teach her the art and the skill of classical music. And thanks to her high school principal, Marion would find that teacher. Marion attended South Philadelphia High School, which had many notable alumni walk up and down its halls, including my guy Ernest Evans. My bad, you may know him by a different name. My guy Ernest, or Chubby Checker, also attended the prestigious high school. Anyways, the principal when Marion attended, Dr. Lucy Wilson, had an assembly one day. And well, I'll let Marion take it from here.
2: When I left and went to South Philadelphia High School, almost immediately, the principal, who was Dr. Lucy Wilson, became interested. And she used to have for assembly lecturers or someone to play the piano or sing. And among the people whom she had was a young woman by the name of Sarah Stein. And the day that Sarah Stein was there, Dr. Wilson had me sing in the assembly. I don't remember what it was that I sang at all. But after the uh, assembly was over, Dr. Wilson told me that she wanted to see me in the office. And I went to her office, and Dr. Wilson told me that her friend, Miss Stein, wanted me to meet her teacher. And the person whom Sarah Stein wanted me to sing for was Mr. Boghetti.
1: Giuseppe Boghetti was a voice teacher and he would go on to have many voice opera singers as pupils. But when Sarah Stein first introduces Marion, he is not exactly thrilled to meet her. Here's Marion again.
2: I went to sing for Mr. Boghetti. And before we sang for him, he immediately said that he didn't have time. That he didn't have time to take on any pupils at all. He was much too busy, but he was giving me a half an hour of his precious time just because his star pupil had asked him to do so, and so and so and so and so and so and so. Dr. Wilson, from outward appearance, was not very happy about this introduction.
1: But as soon as Marion started to sing, his tone changed quickly.
2: And uh, so... The song which we sang for Mr. Boghetti was Deep River.
1: As Marion is singing, tears are streaming down his face. He is visibly moved by her rendition of Deep River, a negro spiritual that speaks to going to a promised land. And when you listen to Marion's rendition of it, you cannot help but to be moved. As a black woman, that song has a meaning that I don't think anyone else can unearth the way she did. Terry provides some unique commentary on what Mr. Baghetti probably feels as Marion is singing.
4: The Negro spirituals, there is so much emotion in them, and it does my heart good when I hear high schools here in the area still sing those. Cordova High School has a phenomenal choir, and they sang this song, a cappella, of course, you know, all the spirituals were a cappella. But the feeling in those is more, it tells a story and it's filled with emotion. Uh, the Fifth Jubilee singers were also known for singing those spirituals. And those are the things that if you think about it, they kept our people going, especially during some of the toughest times. And not saying that it's easy now, but you think about the, post-Civil War era, the 1920s with the Depression, the 1930s, that time leading up to World War II and all of those things, those spirituals with those messages in them just kept gave our, our people so much strength. And those traditions that have been passed on through those songs are still valid because if you sit and listen... Those messages are still very important to us these days.
1: And whatever that performance unearthed, it definitely moved Mr. Brigetti because he switched that I don't have time for you energy real quick. Here is Marion again.
2: After it was finished, he said, I will make room for you right away. And I will only need you two years. After that, you could go anywhere and sing for anybody that you want.
1: Those two years turned into 22 as he would be her teacher and coach until his death in 1941. Let's fast forward a bit to here, in 1923. Up until this point, Marion has been touring around the country. She is really making a name for herself. She is going on long tours, and Auntie Marion is out here getting money. I'll explain a little more about this in part two. One day, Marion gets a letter from the Victor Talking Machine Company, a recording and phonograph company. They were known for recording some of the top musical acts of the day, but they needed to diversify. They wanted to have phonographs in as many homes as possible, and that included homes in black America. Well, if that ain't just more proof that the black dollar is critical to the American economy, simply put, No matter if it's 2022 or Jim Crow 1923, the United States need our coins. Anyways, the company didn't have a person of color that they could promote to sell phonographs to black homes. And that is where Auntie Marion comes in. So on December 10th, 1923, she heads to Camden, New Jersey, to the company headquarters to sing and record two Negro spirituals. The first is Deep River. Where she sang for her vocal coach, Mr. Bugetti. And the other was My Way's Cloudy. cloudy. In this recording, Marion brings a true American art form to the masses, the Negro Spiritual. She is also highlighting the arranger of these two beautiful songs. Harry Thacker Brillet, or HT, is an African-American composer who played a significant role in the art form, composing over 200 songs in the genre and bringing our music, our culture, to the concert stages of America. He also becomes a charter member of the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. You know it as ASCAP you can make the argument that there is no Diddy, no Pharrell, or Timbaland without my guy, H.T. Burley. At this point, Marion Anderson is a black woman out here living the American dream. In the face of her dad dying when she was young, being denied opportunities, and even while she is touring, she is traveling on trains that are dirty with no bathrooms because of the color of her skin. But even through all that, Marion Anderson... Is thriving, But I was curious, how is she pulling this off? So I asked Charlie for some commentary.
3: I think it comes from all of the things that we've had to overcome, all of the no's that we've experienced as people, and then we see people turn them into yeses. I have a feeling that somewhere along the way, Marian Anderson saw somebody else overcome something, and we all learned that this is just what we do as people. Even though we run into all sorts of things systemically and overtly um, that we're gonna make our way through. We're gonna do it. It may not look initially like everybody else's or like the standard, but we're gonna make it the standard <laughs> because we just kind of have that hustle in us. That's my view of it. And those cheat codes, it's just in us. We've seen too many, too many of our ancestors overcome too many things to not think that we can't do it too, even if it's not the standard right away, even if it's not technically correct
1: right away. It will be. But it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows for Marion. And I'm not even talking about the racism. Well, sort of. Remember, as talented as Marion is, she didn't receive the formal training that she needed to get to the next level. I mean, Mr. Baghetti got her quite a ways but even he was limited in what he could show her. And this included like singing songs in different languages. We're talking German, Italian, and more. And the lack of formal training was put on display in the biggest city of them all. New York City's town hall would be her true coming out party. It would make sense, right? You know the saying, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. But it did not go as planned. First of all, she was told that the concert hall was packed with people. It was not. Then the songs that she sang were not sung with correct pronunciation. And lastly, the critics slammed her. One said that she said, stop performing and stick to studying. And this would put Marion in a deep funk and she would actually shy away from music for a while. And you know, sometimes you have to do that in life when you take a L, right? You have to step away for a while and regroup. And that is what Auntie Marion does. Not getting that formal training was always the one thing holding her back throughout her career. She knew her talent was only going to take her so far. But I bet that feeling she felt that night in New York, she was going to make sure that she never felt that feeling ever again. And so in 1927... Marion would pack her bags and set sail for Europe. Next time on the Black is America podcast we learned about Marion's journey through Europe.
2: So we went to this person who had a concert agency and he arranged the concert for us in Paris.
1: And when she comes back to the States, she would sing in front of one of the largest crowds in her career.
2: The United States Park Police officially estimate the attendance at over 75,000.
1: All that and more next time on the Black is America podcast. The Black is America podcast, a presentation of Al's education, was created and it is written, researched and produced by me, Dominic Lawson, executive producer, Kenda Lawson cover art was created by Alexandria Eddings of Art Life Connections. Special thanks to Charlie Edmonds, associate instructor and Ph.D. student at Indiana University, Terry Stevens, educator and historian, Marion Anderson via the Penn Libraries, who posted her interviews on their YouTube page, and the New York Times, whose articles were pivotal to the research of this episode. Be sure to like, review and subscribe to the Black is America podcast. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. For a full transcript of this episode and other resources, go to www.blackisamericapodcast.com. There you can read our blog, leave us a review, or you can leave a voicemail message where you can ask a question or let us know what you think about the show. And we may play that on an upcoming episode. You can also hit the donation button if you like what you heard, which helps us create more educational content like this. Finally, thank you so much for listening to the Black is America podcast, where our history comes to life. Until next time.